What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 30 of the turn-based podcast at thecoalition.com, our exclusive RPG podcast. I'm here as your host, David Jagno, joined with my usual co-host, Gary Swaby. Why don't you say hi? Hey, what's up? Good to be back, finally. Yeah, this episode's uh, it's a little bit behind schedule, but that's okay. We're going to get back on it. We're going to get back on track because we love doing these podcasts. And last time we had kind of a little bit of a party. We had two guests on the show, but this episode we only have us two. We're going back to our roots. Going to yeah. trim down the fat a little bit. I'm not calling rich fat, but it's to lose some weight. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this episode we're going to go back to our usual format. going to have a few news topics and then a spotlight discussion. So first we're going to talk about what we've been playing. So I guess I'll go first. Um, first, starting most recently, I've been playing South Park, The Stick of Truth. Um, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more later, but um, I can't really say many details that people don't know about already because I'm under embargo and the game doesn't come out until March 4th. But I will say that it is actually just as good as I expected, and I had pretty high expectations of this game. Um, it's hilarious. Wow. If you're a fan of the show at all, like if you've ever liked the show, if that kind of humor is right up your alley, then you need to play this game. Even if you're not an RPG fan, because it it kind of it introduces you to the, that those elements very slowly and gradually, and it has a very good tutorial system. Everything's explained very well. Uh, very fun combat. Uh, yeah. So I, so if you're a fan of the show, you should play it. However, if you're an RPG fan and you hate South Park, you probably won't like this game just because it, you know, reeks of South Park. The entire thing is just like a tribute to the TV show. So, I mean, if you don't like the show, then you're not going to like this game. So, cool. I'll say a little bit more later, but that's the that's the basic gist. It's good. So, if you've had any doubts, you should just get rid of those immediately because they're unfounded. Um, besides that, Titanfall played that beta. I have a preview written up on the site. You can check that out. It's not an RPG, but uh, it's a recent game. Um, been playing Lightning Returns. We're going to talk about that one more later, and Gary's going to talk about his review. So I'm going to save that, but I do like it. Um, I think it is a good game, but I am kind of disappointed in some ways. But I haven't played a whole lot, so I can't really say too much. Um Then on the Vita, I've been playing Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky. I used to talk about that game like a year ago, and I kind of stopped playing it for whatever reason. I started to pick it back up, just so I have something on my handheld to play, you know, while I'm I'm pooping, while I'm trying to sleep. I've got something to go to. Yep, so that's me pretty much. That's about all I've been playing. Oh, wait, sorry, Starbound. I've been playing a lot of Starbound. And that game is ridiculously fun. It for for those that don't know, it's basically Terraria, which is a 2D Minecraft plus space exploration and infinite different planets you can go to. And it actually has like more quests. It has a lot of NPCs you can interact with. It has cities in the game. Uh, there's different races that you can pick from. I mean, it's there's all kinds of stuff, and it's very 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 fun. I didn't really like Terraria in Minecraft. They felt too empty and pointless to me, and I love this game, so I wow. I really like it, and that's about all for me. What I've been playing. 
Wow, seems like you've you've been playing a lot there, man. Unfortunately, um, I've only been playing like two games, and um, one of them you mentioned already, Lightning Returns. Uh, we have a whole segment on it, but um, all I'll say for now is check out the review if you haven't already. And um, uh, although there's there's parts of the game that I really really like, there's also parts that are disappointing. But um, yeah, we'll definitely touch on that more later. And um, I've also been playing Pokemon whenever I can fit it in. Um, I had a couple battles with friends and stuff. So yeah, still enjoying that, even after I beat the, the main story, pretty much. Okay, so you have beat the main story then? Yeah. Okay, that was, that was going to be my question. I mean, there, there's still stuff left to do, like after right. you um, after you win the Pokemon League and everything like that, there's still a lot you can do, like you can still um, look for Mega Stones and... Um, all sorts of other things, but um, yeah, I essentially beat like the main plot, if you will. Nice, nice. I still need to get that. I plan to eventually. Yeah, you definitely need to. All right. Well, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, now we'll just go ahead and move into the news. The first is um, kind of a funny topic. This isn't really much of news, but if you saw on the site. It was recently unveiled on an episode of his personal podcast that Ice T <laughs> was the voice for a D and D audio book. Um, yeah, and D and D Dungeons and Dragons, like it's what you think. He's he narrates it and reads an audio book. Uh, I'm not sure the details on which book it is or when it's going to be released, but it's pretty funny. We'll put a link to that article in the description of the podcast. You should definitely listen to the, to the episode because he talks about it right at the very beginning so you don't have to search through the podcast to find it. And it's funny. I mean, he was having trouble reading words. Uh, the, way, <laughs> the, the way the dialogue was written was confusing him. Uh, I mean, he definitely... What made them choose IT? I mean, I, IT so. I have no idea. Like, Maybe they just wanted something to be a huge contrast, you know, <laughs> like having his <laughs> voice read a, a, a very hardcore fantasy book is funny in and of itself. And maybe they figured it would lead to some unique marketing like this where, you know, I think some other pretty pretty big sites have written about this. Like I think Kotaku posted an article about it. Um, I'm trying, I don't remember where I originally saw it at, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty funny um so i mean i don't uh, really buy D D novels um i don't know i just i don't really a whole lot of fantasy novels even though i would like to so i i would love I to know. hear this though oh yeah obviously <laughs> this has to be hilarious definitely definitely i mean especially because hearing what he said about it you know his thoughts towards that genre <laughs> like he thinks it's the dumbest nerd stuff ever <laughs> <laughs> like he's not a fan. He said that. Yeah, he's like <laughs> he just made fun of it the entire time. So I mean, wow. it's it's funny. I, I like whenever stuff like that happens. You know, I, I've always thought that kind of stuff is funny. Like here, let me let me read a quote real quick. It's very not safe for work. I don't know why would you, you'd be listening to this podcast on speaker though. But it's um, they didn't tell me what this. That <laughs> this was a motherfucking Dungeons and Dragons book. For those of y'all that don't know, Dungeons and Dragons is some of the most crazy, deep, deep, deep nerd shit ever invented. So everyone, word you're saying is pretty much made up. Motherfuckers talk like Yoda. 
<laughs> wow, Yoda. <laughs> yeah, so I made a note of how he mixed his fantasy and Star Wars analogies. <laughs> There's like nothing to do with it. <laughs> uh, it. It's funny though. I mean, definitely hear him talk about it. And so, I mean, if you don't, you don't even have to be an IC fan to think it's funny. Like I, I don't, I don't care about IC, but I thought it was funny. But yeah, so I don't know. Are you a big IC fan? No, not really. I mean, I, I I listen to hip hop, but I've never actually been a fan of Ice T. I respect um like his work ethic and everything he's accomplished as as an individual and everything, but um I've never been a fan of him or his music in particular. But um this whole thing just seems really funny to me, like having some um so called gangster rap artist um uh, read <laughs> a D and D audiobook, like that's that's just hilarious. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I want to hear a preview or something. Oh, definitely. All right, so next is uh, definitely shifting gears here. Well, I, I don't know. For some people, D&D and Lord of the Rings are the same thing. So maybe this is kind of related to some people. But the new Lord of the Rings game is Shadow of Mordor. Uh, apparently, it turns out that the... I don't know if I should say current gen or last gen now, but the PS3 and 360 versions of the game are going to be relatively dumbed down in comparison to the Xbox One and PS4, and uh, I think it's coming to PC as well, I'm not sure, those versions of the game. Um, You know, I I can't say I'm surprised. Like, obviously, technology isn't as advanced on the previous generations. That's why we have new consoles to begin with. But um, I am a little disappointed that... That is the case, but I think it's it's a sign of good things. I mean, it shows that developers are moving on to new platforms; they're not being held back anymore. All that kind of stuff. That's good, you know. Like Assassin's Creed Four, that game was the same. Like I, you know, there wasn't really much of a reason to get it on Xbox One and 360. You, you know, I mean, it was the same game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so this one is going to be better on the newer systems, which I think people want. You know, they want to have that validation that they're getting a better game. Yeah. But for me, my problem with it is that they're probably going to charge the same price. I think that I think that's messed up personally. I think that the older versions of the game should cost less. And that's because you're not getting the same experience and it's not the full game, so I don't think they should charge you full price. Like that's what they did whenever the PS2 was still getting games years later. If you remember, games would release on the PS2 just out of nowhere. There were dumbed-down versions of PS3 games, and they would charge like 40 bucks or whatever. Yeah. And so I think that's what they should do. I know the 360 and PS3 are still current. You know, they're less... You know, the new systems haven't even been out a whole year yet. But Yeah, I definitely see your point. I think they're just trying to capitalize because they know that um, so many people haven't made the jump yet. Right. Like, if this was... If this had been, like, um, let's say, like two, three years into, like, the new console cycle and, like, most people had made the jump already, they probably would not do this. Like, they would, they would, um, they would put the price down on the, the old-gen version. Right. Without a doubt. But because they know that they can capitalize on it still, because a lot of people haven't made the jump yet and probably won't for, you know, months to come, uh, that, you know, they're, they're just trying to capitalize on that. Yeah, you're probably right, and it's unfortunate that it's that way, because, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's just, it's it's kind of dumb. Like, And the, the thing about it is, it's not even like they're adding new content. 
to the newer version, they're taking away content for the older version. You see the difference? Yeah. Now they're not adding a new feature for the Xbox One and PS4. They're just they're like we literally can't do everything, so we have to take stuff out. And so I, I don't know. For for me, if it, it feels kind of cheap, and it probably is, you know. I mean that that I think that's actually kind of lazy though, because like I think what most developers do is you know like if the if you're having trouble putting all the mechanics of the game in and stuff, then you can just like decrease the performance slightly of the game, and then that should. Uh, help you accommodate everything else. Like, well, yeah, there's other there's other ways they could probably go about trying to fit it. Because I mean, it, the 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 the, the um, next gen version, I mean, it's fairly early on into the new generation. Can it really be like that advanced to where like you can't figure out some sort of compromise to get these? Um, yeah, I mean, cause what is it like? Is it like the combat system or something like that? No, it, it's the, it's part of the Nemesis system. Um, oh, I'm not entirely sure what the, all that entails, but I, I'm, according to the description, it says um, the story will be the same. It'll have all the same combat. The core mechanics will be identical. Um, but the Nemesis system is so huge in terms of content and calculations and the complexity of the AI. We'll have to try and get as much of it in as we can, but it's not going to have the same level of depth and variety. Okay. So I'm. I mean, it's not a huge thing. If if there were more stuff, I would think. I think I'd be really upset. Like if you know there was just entire portions of the game that just weren't in there. But you know, this is going to be definitively a lesser version of the same game. And I don't know. Like I, I just hope that this isn't a trend where developers are just going to take out stuff, release it on PS3, and then charge the same price. Like I, I just hope that doesn't become a trend. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, Shouts to Icon. I saw you going back and forth with him in the comments. On the, oh yeah, about yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we I agreed mean, to I, disagree. He uh, liked my last comment and didn't respond. So I mean, we we agreed to disagree on that. So if you're listening, shout out to uh, to our boy. He gave us a good debate. Me and Rich both. He responded to both of us. So yeah. yep. I don't know. I, I'm definitely looking forward to the game still. If I get it, I'll obviously get it on PS4 when I get one. Now that I know this, but yeah, I mean, it looks like a good game, so I'm not taking that away from them. Okay, so next, uh, just some short, uh, short little plug. Uh, one of our new reviewers actually reviewed a game. Uh, the new reviewer on the site is Gustavo Flores, and his first review was Taukiden: The Age of Demons. I don't even know if I pronounced that correctly, but it's a uh, it kind of based on the screenshots and skimming over the game. It kind of reminds me of Monster Hunter and uh, Ragnarok Odyssey, and maybe a little Soul Sacrifice. Kind of that genre of games where you fight giant monsters a lot. Um, yeah, so that's what it kind of reminds me of. He gave it a 65, so it's not a bad game, but it seems like it, um, you know, could have been a lot better. Uh, just based on reading the review, I guess it's kind of shallow, and um, you know, there weren't. There are a lot of things that could have been done better. So uh, check that review out if you're interested in the game. I'd never even heard of it until the review was posted a few days ago. <laughs> so uh, I'm guessing it's kind of one of those niche Japanese games. But yeah. Do you know anything about the game, Gary? No, I don't know nothing at all. Um, it's been kind of hard for me to keep up with games over the past couple of weeks. So yeah, I, I have no clue what that is. 
um, I will check out the review because you know I heard we we have a new reviewer, and I'm anxious to see his work. So yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, it turned out great. So if you're listening, you know, good job. Very well written, and it seems like we have relatively similar taste in games because I know he wants to review the Ace version of Ragnarok Odyssey that's coming out in a couple months. And uh, some other games from like Tecmo and Xseed and NIS America, all those kind of random Japanese games I usually review. So it seems like uh, we have pretty similar tastes, so it'll help out having another person to pick up the slack on that stuff. But yeah, shout out to Gustavo. Not the one from Breaking Bad, this is a different one. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of when you said <laughs> <Me> Gustavo. <too>. Apoyo <laughs> <El> Loco. <laughs> Alright, so next... Um, there's some news about Final Fantasy, of course. It would not be a turn-based episode without Final Fantasy discussion. Um, they've announced that Lightning, the super hot and awesome protagonist from the 13 series, will possibly appear in other future Final Fantasy games. Um, this isn't really news to me, since she's already in 14. I'm, mm-hmm. I wasn't really surprised by this, and... Um, I, I can't. I always forget the name that they labeled this thing, but the, it's like part. The thirteen series is part of this overall universe that other games. Uh, Nova Crystal. Yeah, or something that's like that. the one. Yeah, and that's where fifteen takes place too, in that same kind of overall universe. Yeah. So I mean, that's not really surprising to me. It looks like they're trying to find a way to kind of connect to games, and I wouldn't be surprised if we get some like massive, massive game that connects them all. Maybe a Dissidia 3 on PS4. That would be epic. That would just be amazing if they ever did that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would be all over that. I still want to play the Duodecim Dissidia. I know you can download it on PSN for Vita, and I really want to. Yeah, I definitely need to play those games, too. Uh, As far as Lightning, um, there's a lot of people who, who dislike the Lightning character, and I think it's, you know... I think it's mainly due to the fact that a lot of people disliked the 13 games period. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think people have difficulty divorcing their feelings for a character in a game versus their feelings for the game overall. And, you know, definitely yeah. char- characters contribute a lot to your feelings on an RPG. But definitely. I don't think Lightning was... I think Lightning is the best thing about the 13 trilogy, hands down. Yeah, hands down. And... um i got no problems with seeing her in other games as long as it makes sense. Um, I kind of expect her to show up in, like, Kingdom Hearts or something like that. Oh, definitely. And, like you said, yeah. Dissidia and, you know, other Well, she's already like... in um, Duodecim Dissidia, the second one. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's in there. Cool. And uh, she'll definitely appear in Kingdom Hearts, t- without a doubt. I'm sure oh, we'll yeah. probably see people from 15 in that game, because it's probably not going to come out. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not coming out for years. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I think this, I, I kind of take this news topic as that she might show up in in the um, in Final Fantasy fifteen. That's kind of how I look That'd at it. That'd be cool with me. Because, so, I mean, what else, what other Final Fantasy is she going to show up in? That's That's been announced already. Yeah, yeah. I, it's so. it's probably fifteen, which would be fine with me. I mean, I would love to see Lightning with more polygons and higher resolution. Who <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't? I'm just going to throw that out there. But yeah, yeah. good news to me. A uh, quick little personal plug here. of uh, Whenever Lightning Returns came out, we actually unofficially dubbed that Final Fantasy Week on the Coalition. 
And if you went to the site at all that week, you probably saw, you know, one of several Final Fantasy related editorials and lists that we did. Um, I can't, I don't. I'm just going to look up the the list of them, and I can't remember them all. Um, on Monday, we kicked it off with the top six best Final Fantasy heroes of all time. Uh, Lightning was on that list. She was one of our picks for one of the best heroes. So you should check that out. Um, then there was the top six Final Fantasy guests. Uh, uh, let me backtrack for a second. The Heroes one was written by me and Tom. Uh, Tom Chamberlain. Or uh, Skidmore. Skidmore. Sorry. I get them confused still. Tom <laughs> Skidmore and me wrote the Heroes article. Then top six Final Fantasy guest characters was written by Garrett. Uh, then top six best main series Final Fantasy games was written by me. Then, this is an article that Gary and Charles wrote, a contributor that uh, contributes sometimes to the Coalition, uh, Final Fantasy X versus Final Fantasy VII, which is the better game. So why don't you dive into that a little bit? I know that um, you have gone back and forth on your choice over the years, but now you have settled on one for now. And So which one is your choice? Yeah, I'm glad you threw in for now because you know that could change next month. We'll see. <laughs> but um, I've done the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, see, they, these are like definitely two of the most popular games in Final Fantasy history. You know, Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy X, without a doubt, those are probably the most memorable games. Um, they they might not necessarily be the best games to a lot of people, but you know, those are probably the most popular. So. Um, we definitely, you know, decided to do an article, and you know, um, Charles, Charles basically he made a case for Final Fantasy X, and I made a case for Final Fantasy VII, having actually beat the game um, last year sometime for the first time. Uh, you know, I played it years ago, but um, because I was fairly ignorant back then, I kind of <laughs> got, <laughs> kind of got bored of the graphics and everything. So, um, yeah, I decided to replay it when it came out for the PC in 2012. So, yeah, it took me about a year to really fully beat it. I start, I kept restarting it a couple of times um, just because there was other games and stuff to play. And you eventually, so kept, when you beat it, you beat it on uh, Steam, right? Yeah, no, no, I still, um, I had the same version that I bought from the Square Enix store, but oh, I just okay. imported it. I imported it into Steam. Okay. So I don't have any of the achievements or anything on Steam. Well, I mean, on PC is where you played it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played on PC. Okay, yeah. okay. So, yeah, I mean, um, I basically defended Final Fantasy VII in the article, and um, my reasons for that is because I feel that it's definitely, like, it's one of the best cast of characters, I think, in a Final Fantasy game. Like, mm-hmm. I like a lot of those characters and their backstories. And I I really enjoy the conflict in that game as well, like what they're fighting for and the whole Sephiroth thing. I uh, definitely love Sephiroth's backstory. And um, when you actually get to play like the memories and stuff of um, when he first figures out that that um, he's an experiment and everything, you know, that part is just so intense in itself, you know, and... Final Fantasy X, you know, it has a great story, and for a long time it was my favorite Final Fantasy game. And, you know, like I said, that can still change again when I replay it. But I just feel like um, the story, like, it's a lot more, how, how should I say? It's just not as dark as Final Fantasy VII is, Yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that characterization of it. Um, for me, I agree with Carl, or, well, not Carl, Charles. Um, I personally prefer 10. 
Um, one, well, before I get into my reasons, uh, one thing I think is very, very interesting about your guys' article is that Charles used to prefer 7, but yeah. recently replayed 10 or whatever, and now he prefers that. And you used to prefer 10 and recently replayed 7 and now prefer that. Exactly. Um, exactly, yeah. And, and also, like, um, 7 was the first Final Fantasy game he played, and 10 was the first Final Fantasy game I played, so... Yeah, that's just ridiculous how perfectly that worked <laughs> out. That <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so for me, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be upfront. I've never completely finished seven, so that could contribute to my reasoning for why it's not a huge game for me. I've watched people play it whenever I was younger, and I've played it since then, and I'm very familiar with the plot points and the storyline and everything. But I haven't actually sat down and played it from start to finish personally. I've just seen bits and pieces, played parts. And so that obviously might contribute to my opinion on it. Um, but ten, it was not the first Final Fantasy game I played, so I'm not like either of you. The first one I ever played was... I think it was actually four, which is my current favorite one. So, I mean, that's kind of how that works out, I guess. Uh, ten mm. was... I don't know. See, for me, ten... It, ha- it has a long history of me playing the game. You know, whenever I first played it, I went over to a friend's house. He just got a PS2 for his birthday. He got Final Fantasy X. That's the only game he had. And it was all of us over at his house, and it was on the weekend. And we just stayed there all weekend and played that game. And for the first night, his dad didn't know that he needed a memory card to save. <laughs> so we would just take turns playing through the opening portions of the game, trying to get as far as we could without dying. Wow. And we... We you know we played the first couple hours of that game several times. I remember the part that I died on was whenever you're on the boat in Cenotax. Um, that's kind of it's pretty close to the beginning, and that that's the part where I died whenever it was my turn. Um, yeah, so for Final Fantasy X, you know I played that game so much, and going back and if you haven't played it, it has similar to Seven, one of those stories that if you're not familiar with it, it's just gonna blow you away. You know, because there's so many revelations and plot turns and twists and stuff that you would have never expected happen in both of those games. You know, and some of the stuff you mentioned about Seven, you know, with Sephiroth, all that stuff is like huge revelations that no one saw coming. Uh, Ten, even, you know, for me, even more so, you know, the way that game ends, like, spoiler alert if you haven't played it yet, uh, Titus is a dream. Like, he's not even really real. it's ridiculous and (laughs) I mean his father is the main antagonist of the game and Arvin's dead the entire time (laughs) like that kind of it's almost that's like the kind of stuff that you can't imagine someone actually writing like it's so crazy that I don't know how they thought up that kind of stuff and how it plays out so perfectly you know you you uh, never that's one of the things that's one of the things I always think when I play um, a really good Final Fantasy game like how do they come up with this stuff like yeah like it's just they they're able to catch you off guard every time you know there's been over 13 Final Fantasy games but every time it seems like there is some twist in them that you never see coming and it catches you off guard even 13 had that where I thought Zaz killed himself you know, like, yeah. th- that was a pretty sweet twist, and the way that game ended was pretty awesome. And, you know, obviously 13-2 didn't really carry that forward very much, but that Yeah. Definitely 10, but, you know, like I said, I have not finished 7 personally, so I, I need to do that. I know I do. It's very high on my list, um, but yeah, so. Two great games. For sure. Then, 
before we move on to our next topic, I guess, just real quick shout out to the last Final Fantasy Week article. Once again, written by Tom Skidmore and myself, was the top six best Final Fantasy villains of all time. And uh, we actually thought this one was going to be more popular, but the Heroes one has gotten a lot more hits than the Villains one. Um, oh, yeah. Maybe it just has to do with I'll timing, because the Villains one was released on a Friday and the other was on a Monday. Yeah, it could be timing. Yeah. And uh, I think this it, it was definitely a great idea to do all of these different articles. And for the Villains one, like, like although it's something that has to be well thought out by the authors, um, I feel like a lot of fans um, feel like your list won't be wrong as long as you include like certain characters. So as long as you include Sephiroth, you know, I don't I don't think it really matters who you put after that. Like I think all fans will be happy. Yeah. Because he's just like the guy that everybody thinks of. It's actually kind of funny I mean, you bring up characters that people think should be included cuz spoiler yeah. alert, our heroes list does not include Cloud. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean did anybody say anything about that? Did anybody mention it? Um, I haven't checked the M4G comments, but okay. on the site, I think you're the only one that mentioned Cloud, and you said you're glad he's not on there. Because <laughs> yeah. the thing is with Cloud, although he he's cool and everything, you know, I'm, I don't have anything against Cloud. He just doesn't deserve to be on there because, like, he's he kind of just takes from somebody else. Like he's basically copying um, Zack, and, and if you haven't yeah, played yeah. Crisis Core, you might not know that. Yeah, and Zack is on our list. Tom picked Zack as one of his characters. Yeah, so there you go. Um, definitely check all those out. Uh, there's so much stuff to talk about. I mean, easily, each of those lists, whatever number we picked, could be doubled, and there would still be stuff that we want, that we felt like we left out. I mean, there's so many characters, so many games, so many things to talk about in that, in that franchise. It's ridiculous. Um, so, before we waste too much more time, we'll move on. Um, I guess we can keep your bre- your um, your impressions on, thir- on Lightning Returns relatively brief. Uh, so we already talked about it some, and um, you know, so if people want to check out your review, they can. But I guess give us yep. the give us the kind of a recap of your thoughts on the game. Yeah, basically, you know, I, I really do enjoy the game. I I like the story a lot better than I like um, the story in thirteen two. Um, I I thought the dialogue was horrible personally in thirteen two, but um, I think they they definitely took those criticisms on board and they improved it in Lightning Returns. And um, what I like the most is that the side quests and everything in there, you know, they they're well thought out. And they actually have like backstory to them and everything, so I like that part of it. The combat system now, like in the demos and previews I played and everything, it seemed really cool. In the actual game, it's kind of it, it can be tedious because the thing is like you have you have three schemas that you can set up and you can only attach like four moves to them, and you're gonna run into a lot of different types of enemies and stuff, which means that. You know, all these enemies, they have different weaknesses, strengths and weaknesses. So you have to change up your schemas quite a lot. And that gets really tiresome after a while. And, you know, some of the bosses as well, they can be really tough to beat if you don't have the right moves and stuff. Like, and it's kind of brutal in that sense. Yeah, I, I recommend everybody play it on easy first, by the way. Because, like, what happened to me was um, I went through most of the game feeling like I was overpowered 
and then like when I got to like the last dungeon and everything, like everything was just kicking my ass basically, and that's mainly because um, you don't level up traditionally in this game. Like you don't level up just by grinding and defeating enemies and stuff. Like you actually have to um, complete quests and everything, and that's how you level up. And I hate that. I hate that method um, of leveling up because yeah, I, I just wish they kept it traditional. Uh, I wish they kept the combat as well, like they did in the DLC for thirteen two. Yes, the way. I think, see, I, I, I think can't that even was when... pinpoint what the changes were between thirteen two and that DLC, but there were some changes yeah. made. I'm not really too sure what it was, but whatever they did, the combat from that Requiem DLC was my favorite out of all of the thirteen games. Yeah, that was like the perfect paradigm system. Yeah, and it wasn't even that deep, you know, it was just two fights, <laughs> and I knew, yeah. like, after playing that, that I just loved the way that combat was, and I wish they kept it that way. You know, I, yeah. I I would have never thought that that paradigm system could work with just one person, but they made, you know, they made it work great, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, Definitely. I'm only a couple hours into the game, so I can't really speak too much. Uh, all I know is that I wish I had started on easy, like you said, just because of reading stuff about how the late game is and the penalties for playing on normal seem a little seem like they're going to get frustrating you know if you lose yeah. a fight you lose an hour of time your health doesn't regenerate after battles um all that kind of stuff that is a big change from the 13 and 13 2 games um yeah. for me i i mean like i said i'm not very far but i really dislike the time system i wish they hadn't oh, yeah. done that yeah that's that's something else I was going to touch on too. Like, um, originally it seemed like a cool concept to me, like when I read about it. But it's it's a really messed up system because um, the thing is, like, the game actually forces you to focus on the main quest first to um, so that you can extend the amount of time you have, like how many days you have mm-hmm. until the end of the world. And then, like, once you beat like the four main quests or whatever, then you can spend the rest of the days like doing side quests. But that's when it really gets kind of boring because, I mean, doing the side quests is cool because they all have their own story and everything. But it means a lot of backtracking and, you know, going around to the same places you've already been over and over and over again. And, you know, eventually it gets like it gets to the point where, OK, I've done enough side quests now. Like, I just want I just want to get to the final day. But then you have to actually go to an inn or something and sleep until like the day is finished. So it's like it's really tedious, and I really don't like the system. Yeah, they yeah. should have just they should have just um, did it a different way, like just kept it normal. Yep, 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 yep. And you know, you're you're not a Zelda fan, so you can't uh, relate to this analogy. But for those that have played Majora's Mask, that game has a countdown to the end of the world system as well. Um, the difference for me, I'm gonna point out the differences here for those that are interested in Majora's Mask it's only three days and that see that time frame is short enough to where it actually impacts the game but doesn't feel like it's limited because you can reset the time at any time in Majora's Mask you can travel back to the first day and see the way that that works out better is that since it's only three days they can make each day very different without losing any of the kind of feeling pressure to do things aspect of it. Because you can always go back to the first day. So if you miss something on the first day, you can travel back and, you know, do that stuff. You know, whatever. And in Final Fantasy 
Lightning Returns, it's always counting down. You can never travel back. And so you always have that time limit while you're playing. And, I mean, there are ways to lengthen it and to suspend the time decreasing and all that other kind of stuff. But, you know, it's still the fact that you do have an endpoint changes the dynamic to me. And it makes it less fun. Because, you know, and like you said, like, I don't... It seems counterintuitive that it tries to encourage you to do the main quest first. Because, you know, every person that plays an RPG, they, you know, try to do as many cyclists as they can before main Yeah. That's tough. Because, like, you want to do the side stuff first and get it out of the way so you can focus on the main thing. And so you have that kind of carrot at the end of the stick guiding you along. Yeah. And let me put it in perspective a little bit more for you. Like, if you didn't know that and you um, actually started off playing the game focusing on the side quests and then you got to like day like like say you got to the point where there was like three days left or something and then you started focusing on the main quest if that happened you wouldn't have enough time and you would have potentially wasted like hours of your life and you wouldn't be able to beat the game at that point because once it reaches that final day like, the planet would just explode, and that would be the end. And you would be forced into New Game Plus after that point. So, if you don't know that, then you could be, like, setting yourself up. Okay, so, I was or, wondering or wasting about... hours of your life. If you the end, having finished the storyline, does the game, the game still ends, right? Yeah, the, the world ends, at, like, and it basically just blows up, like... Huh. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah, I mean, like to actually beat the game, you, you you have to do the main quest first to ensure that you have enough time and everything to to actually see the end of the game. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So you could potentially waste hours of your life if you didn't know that, and I almost did that. Wow. Well, uh, congrats on avoiding that. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I would have expanded on that in the review a little bit too, but um, you know, because I was still kind of rushing it because um, I only got the review copy like uh, days before before the actual um, deadline. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that I found out later on. Well, to end on a good note, would you recommend this game, though? I would only recommend this game to um, those who have beat the other 13 games because I think like you'll only really enjoy it if you beat those games because um, there's a lot of past references and stuff, so... Yeah, I mean, if if you just want to try out a Final Fantasy game, this is definitely not a good place to start, and you probably won't even enjoy it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I, I agree with that, definitely. It's it's kind of unfortunate, too, because it's strange that, you know, this is by far the most unpopular series of Final Fantasy games. You know, like, I don't know anyone... It just overall, you know, across the board. There are games that I prefer, that, that I like less, personally. But I think, in general, people are very divided. And, like we said, you know, on several episodes of Turnbase, that it doesn't make sense that they have pounded this universe into our brains so much. You would think yeah. they would want to distance themselves and start fresh. But instead, it seems like 
with each successive game, they've, you know, improved on some things, but then made other things worse, and they never really made the perfect Final Fantasy thirteen game. There yeah. are, there's always something wrong with each of the three games. And that's, that's kind of frustrating. But I, I think I would agree that I'd, I do recommend it. I'm going to be restarting it soon once I finish South Park. Um, I'm going to be playing the game more, but I kind of have other things I need to play right now. Which... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, just to bounce off of what you said, like, now, you know, looking back, I definitely feel like 13 is actually the stronger game of this trilogy, like, this definitely the best one. Um, the only thing really wrong with it was that it was um, kind of missing out on a lot of the side stuff that people wanted to see, but I guess there's reason for that in the storyline. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's so strange, the, this trilogy of games, because each game has progressively gotten more and more open-ended. Yeah while the combat has progressively got more and more restricted, is what I've yeah. noticed. Because oh. 13.2, you only had two party members and then a creature that you couldn't, you didn't really have a whole lot of control of over besides just leveling them up. But then in, thir- in the first 13 game, there were so many different characters, and the last half of the game, you could customize your party in so many different ways. And I felt yeah. like the combat really opened up in that game, but the game itself was super, super linear. And then yeah. thirteen two is more open, and now Lightning Returned is like an entirely... It's almost an open-world RPG. You can go wherever at any time. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of interesting. And I feel like the story has progressively gotten worse as well in some ways. I, I like the idea behind the Lightning Return story. I like how focused it is, and yeah. I like Lightning's role in the story. But for me, even just in the first couple hours, I... I was kind of put off by how religious it was. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Wait until you get later in the game. Like, like it, obviously, uh, it's a fictional world, you know, and it's not, you know, preaching or anything. But I, I've never heard the word God so many times in a game before. Yeah. Right? It's it's just it's kind of odd. I don't, I don't know. It just feels out of place in a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, I've found some parts later in the game a little bit uncomfortable slightly just because of like how they were speaking like about God and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I see your point. Okay, well, to go to the completely opposite side of the spectrum, I've been playing South Park. <laughs> this is a, for comparison's sake, this is a game where you can summon Jesus as a uh, summon in battle, so... Just uh, we'll let that sink in for a moment. Um, yeah, I mean the, the game's hilarious. You know, like I, there aren't many games that actually make you laugh. You know, if you think about it, comedy isn't something that's very common in video games. There's a lot of funny movies that you can watch by yourself, but there aren't many games that will make you laugh when you're sitting in a room by yourself. And a South Park is, you know, the perfect perfect setting for a game if you want to laugh. You know, I mean the show is one of my favorite shows. It's hilarious, um, and the game is its just like the show. You know, like, visually it looks the same. All the voice acting is identical. They voiced all the characters. They did the writing. Um, you know, it, this is the epitome of, like, South Park in game form. And if, if you like the show at all, then you have to play this game. Like, there's no question about it. See, like, um, for me personally, like, I, I do like the South Park show. I just haven't bothered to watch it like for the past couple years oh me too but um so so i'm wondering like if i haven't watched it in like years let's say like seven eight years or something would i still enjoy this or are a lot of the references fairly new um hmm i'm not really too sure about the time frame a lot of the stuff i just know that i've seen a lot of the episodes 
Uh, I don't watch it currently. Like, I haven't seen it the most recent two or three seasons. But I've still understood a lot of the references in the, in the game. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I obviously can't go into specifics or anything like that right now. But, oh, right, right. I mean, there, especially if you're a huge fan of the show, then I can't understand why you wouldn't want to play this game. Because this is one of... Like one of those RPGs that really, really, really rewards you for exploring the environment because there are little like little knickknacks and memorabilia from various different episodes all strewn around the game. You know, you can go to each of the different kids' houses and their closets will have you know items from throughout the series' history, and you'll see like little like references, or you'll find you know equipment pieces that reference something or. You'll have a weapon that references something. I mean, there's an entire class in the game that's just called Jew. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious. And, I mean, just throughout the whole game, it's just kind of references to the show. But the good thing about South Park that I've always liked is you can take any of those jokes that it makes in a vacuum and not know the context, and it's still funny. You know, like, the, no. it's, it's one of the few shows, I feel like, where you could look up a clip on YouTube, and without seeing the whole episode, that clip is still funny. And that's, yeah. that's how the game is. Like, each little section of the game is like a mini-story or a mini-episode, and it's just really funny. And Oh, that's good. Yeah, and get, getting aside from all that, like, the core gameplay mechanics, like the RPG part of the game, is really, really good. Um, I, I don't really... I can talk about some because they've released a video that shows, like, the intro sequences of the game. It's like the Mario and Luigi RPGs, where it's turn-based, you know, it's fully turn-based, there's no active time battle, there's no meter for when you have to attack, like Final Fantasy Thirteen. You know, it's fully turn-based. You can sit there and go through the menu for hours if you want. But whenever you click on an attack, it's, it, uh, it's also interactive. So whenever I go up to swing my sword, you know, there'll be little flashes on the screen where I have the time pressing A to try to hit them at the right moment to do more damage. Or okay. whenever I, you know, run up with butters and do like one of his like smite attacks because he's a paladin. You know, you have to spin the stick around to make him spin around a circle and then press A at the right time to throw his hammer. You know, stuff like that. So, oh, that's, that's, pre- that's pretty neat. Yeah, and then it's it's also, it has the same um, system for defense as well. So whenever someone attacks you, if you time pressing A correctly, you can block and take less damage. And if you block enough attacks in a row, you get to parry. Um, you know, there's different classes of enemies there's like the ranged archers that'll stand in the back rows and you can't attack them without it without your own ranged weapons and then there's people that can stand in the stance to reflect melee attacks or reflect range attacks and like the whole it's really dynamic and they've it's there's a lot of layers to the combat that i didn't expect you know i thought it was just going to be kind of a cash-in really basic turn-based combat but they really went the extra mile and made it like you know, I would love to play tons of different games with this system. Like, I hope Obsidian makes more turn-based games now, because it's really... Oh, that's, that's pretty interesting, like, to think that, you know, they, they've actually um, adapted on, you know, the turn-based concept, so they, ha- they haven't just put in a simple battle system to cash in from, you know, South Park. They've actually built something from the ground up and, you know, made it unique. Yeah, and yeah. That's interesting to see, like, because... Uh, most RPGs of this type, you know, we're used to seeing fantasy and sci-fi and all that sort of thing. But to think that um, something like South Park could have like a turn-based engine, like a fully customized one, like that's, uh, I hope that's something we see more of. To be honest, 
And see, and it's so funny because the whole game, it's like all the character, all the kids in the town are live action role playing, right? So the entire time they're aware that they're playing a game, basically. <laughs> and it's there's so much humor in that, and the, like the intro sequences of the game when Cartman's teaching you how to play, you know, it's so funny because you'll you'll be training against somebody, and the the other kid will be like, "All right, I'm gonna kick your ass," and then Cartman's like, "No, no, no, you have to wait your turn." He's like, well, why do I have to wait my turn? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's the rules. You just have to follow the rules. <laughs> He's like, all right, now what you need to do is press A at this moment or whatever. <laughs> and it's so funny because, you know, the whole game is like that. Like, they're aware that it's not real and it's a, it's a game. But so, it's you know, just like the episodes, like, they're very aware of what they're doing. And it's it's just so funny, you know. And if, if you've never seen the show but you like offensive humor, then I think you could probably enjoy it. But if you hate the show, then you're definitely not going to enjoy the game. Which is why I hope they take this battle system and expand upon it in future games. Because I would love to see it in a serious RPG too. Like, it would work in any RPG. Like, it's it's just a really good battle system. Yeah, I hope we do. Alright. Well, I guess we'll move on to our spotlight discussion now. Um... You know, we're not going to really talk about this forever or anything, but uh, this is a topic we've been wanting to talk about for a few weeks. We just kept putting it off because of other more relevant things kept popping up. But our spotlight for this episode is how to make the perfect RPG sequel. And we felt like it was important to talk about RPG sequels specifically rather than just game sequels in general, because I think there's very different... Um, methods and a different logic that goes behind both of those things. Um, yeah. For example, like a normal game sequel, I feel like there are far fewer things on the checklist that have to be met for me, you know, because we're RPG fans. So yeah. for me, an RPG sequel has has different things that need to be checked off the list. Like a regular game sequel, you know, like obviously the easy example is Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty. You know, like people that play those games... They want the same experience again, but in a different setting with a few new things. And I feel like that's how a lot of non-RPG sequels are approached. You know, I'm looking at my shelf right now, and, you know, Fight Night Champion, you know, that's a sequel. It expanded on some things, but it's pretty similar. Uncharted 2 and 3, you know, they are pretty much the same game. Um, You know, Assassin's Creed, um, you know, all, all those kind of games, you know, the sequels you can definitely tell they're part of that same franchise. But for me, I think like whenever an RPG gets a sequel, more times than not, it's a, like a huge evolution of that series. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I think the perfect example is the Elder Scrolls franchise. Like Those games oh, yeah. are numbered, but you know, from Elder Scrolls 3 to 4... There was such a big jump. And then the same from 4 to 5, like Skyrim and Oblivion. Like, those games, you can tell they're from the same franchise, but there were big changes. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of, like, a lot more work you have to put in with RPG sequels, because, you know, it's, it's not just a case of, okay, let's just slap a new story on this thing. Like, you have to actually um, uh, improve on the gameplay mechanics and stuff, or make it different somehow. And, you know, maybe even change how you level up and, you know, all these kinds of different things. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, there are plenty of RPG sequels that are just cash-ins, too. Or they don't change very much. Like like we were talking about earlier, the 13 franchise. A lot of those things, from 13 to 13-2, those games are very similar. Yeah. And, you know, but 
as far as gameplay mechanics go, but there's huge changes in terms of how you progress through the story and how linear it is and how open the world is and, you know, just everything. Other than the gameplay mechanics are pretty much, you know, like a totally different series. Yeah. And the same for Lightning Returns, you know, like, that game's completely open-ended. There's one-person battle system. You know, they don't even have paradigms anymore. It's a schema system now. You can change costumes for different abilities. Like, it's it's like a brand-new game. Definitely. I, I think, um, I mean, I, I gotta applaud Square Enix, because um, the, the, um, the engine they used for the 13 games, it seems like it was kind of limiting to them in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but they did what they could with it to make, you know... Um, each game a little bit different somehow. So I kind of applaud them for, you know, putting in so much effort to, you know, make differences between the games. But, um, yeah, I agree. Right, right. And also, just um, once again, give some examples of the of the opposite that have worked out well. Like, there, there are a lot of series out there where I feel like the second game was just a pure improvement over the first and made a better game overall. Like, Baldur's Gate 2, a lot of people regard that as one of the best RPGs ever made, but as far as mechanics and approach to the story and the way the game works, it's very similar to the first game. And the same goes with Fallout 2. Like, a lot of people love Fallout 2, but compared to 1, it's very, very similar. But then you can also say, like, you know, Fallout 3. Like, (laughs) that game's almost... It's not even in the same universe at all, other than the name and setting. Um, So I'm... Yeah, so like stuff like that is all over the place. So like once again, looking at my shelf, Darksiders one to Darksiders two, that's a huge, huge change. Um, you know, I loved both of those games, but they're very, very different. Yeah. Now, what do you think like about putting off fans? Because I think that changing um, an RPG too much from game to game has the potential of actually putting off a lot of people. And we've seen that with, you know, Dragon Age and Mass Effect, you know, those type yeah. of games. Like yeah. The the changes actually put off a lot of the, the diehards. You know, and it's interesting because the answer to that question lies once again with the company we always talk about, Square Enix. So mm-hmm. Final Fantasy, almost every one of those games is very, very different, right? Like each of the numbered games have huge differences. Yeah. But then you look at another series, Dragon Quest, where that that series has hardly changed at all since its very first game on the NES. And, I mean, there have been updates and improvements over that same turn-based formula, but it is very much a traditional, old-school JRPG in every single way. And they're on, I think, what is it, the 10th game now? But that one, see, that, the 10th game that they're, I think is out in Japan already is the only game that has actually been very different, and it's an MMO. But 1 through 9 were all pretty much very traditional, standard JRPGs. And both of those games are like the two most popular JRPG franchises in the world. And they're completely opposite approaches. So, I I don't know the answer to that question. (laughs) I think that people, you know, like gamers, when they love a franchise and they love that brand, as long as they are delivered a quality product, I think they're going to like it. And that, that's how I feel. Like, Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 are pretty different in a lot of ways, but I love all three of them because I love that universe and I love that franchise. And I feel like that's how a lot of people are with brand loyalty. And um, But that's also kind of what puts people off about 13. Like, people wanted something and they didn't get what they wanted, so they don't like it. 
But yeah. you know, for me, I like. I think you did the same thing where you played it at first and didn't like it, then came back to it a few years later and turned out you really liked it. Yeah, exactly. So I think people have trouble setting aside their expectations and just accepting something for what it is, and that's oh yeah, that's that's even more true for sequels. Like sequels are very difficult to accept if they're not what you expected because your expectations are going to determine your reaction. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Like I mean for for franchises like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest like you mentioned, like people are so used to getting, you know, what they expect that, you know, if if something if there's a drastic change in one of the games then yeah, you're you're definitely going to turn off some of your fans because it's not what they were expecting. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I don't envy game developers, man. It's <laughs> I think gaming, like the gaming public and consumers, are in a lot of ways some of the most hostile fans out there of any industry. You know, like if they don't get what they want, then they start petitions, they attack you on Twitter, they write terrible articles on game sites like the Coalition. They, <laughs> I mean, I would not want to be a game developer of a popular franchise, really. I just remember, like, um, you know, back when I was really into Dragon Age, like, and I was playing Dragon Age 2 and everything, I was really heavy on BioWare's forum. And, oh, yeah. Um, I, I remember, like, people were being so snide and just, like, because the, the developers actually used to post on there. Yeah, and yeah. People would just pick them apart and just oh, dude. you know say I, mean things about them. And I don't have an account, I like, but wow. I go on there a lot, and that's the Guild Wars Two forums. Yeah, and I gotta say those those guys, like the community managers or the developers or whoever it is that comments on there, they go hard. They <laughs> will pick apart people on those forums that like say certain things, and I really respect that. Like. Whenever someone calls them out or something like that, they'll come on there and write like several paragraphs responding and just picking every single thing they say apart. And it's pretty cool. But, you know, like a massive company like ArenaNet, they can afford to have someone that just sits on there and responds to fans on forums. But, yeah. you know, especially if we're indie dev, like, I, I just feel so bad for them a lot of the time. You know, like, when, especially um, just all the stuff they have to put up with. And I think part of it, though, it, a lot of them are just terrible people. You know, I feel bad for saying that, but a lot of it seems like a lot of people that find the spotlight in the indie development community, or a lot of the ones that are well known, just aren't very nice people. Yeah, that's, that's true. Like obviously, the big example that everyone thinks about is Phil Fish. You know, he's just uh-huh. not a nice guy, and he sh- he should have hired someone very early on to be the face of that company instead of responding to it all himself, because that did not work out well. And he drove himself crazy, basically. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the game community is pretty hostile in a lot of ways. Uh, the same, just That just goes for the internet in general. You know, like, look at comments on YouTube videos. I mean, it's, it's bad. So it, it sucks that, you know, an industry that produces such amazing things like video games has, like, pretty hostile community. But that's... That's a price to pay, I guess. Yeah. Well, getting back to what we were talking about, though. To make the perfect RPG sequel, just make a good game. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it really boils down to. That's a very broad summary right there. 
Hey, that that same that criteria does not usually apply to non RPG sequels, though. So I'm just gonna yeah. say that, and those games still sell like crazy. Like I don't know, oh, yeah. I don't know many people that would, in good faith, actually tell you that Call of Duty Ghosts is a great game. <laughs> like, no, no. All right, well, I guess that's about it. Do you have any more uh, comments to add? Uh, no, just um, remember to hit us up with your comments. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, then you know definitely hit us up on Twitter or on the Coalition or by email. It's Gary at thecoalition dot com. In case you wanted to know. And yeah, we'll we'll arrange that for the next episode. And um, shouts to um, oh, what's the dude's name? Um, Dominican Ninja. He listens to like every episode, and he always hits me up on PSN. So shouts to him. Yep, it's good to have at least one fan. So spread the word. If you're one of those people that actually listen to this to this show, you should tweet about it. You know, spread the word. Um, you know, the more listeners we get, the more motivated we are to stay consistent with the episodes. So, um, you know, we definitely love re- recording this podcast regardless, though. And it's been 30 episodes. Yeah. This is episode 30. That's wow. that's a little bit of a mi- milestone there. Yeah, we, we actually caught up quick. Like, we're not that far off from the co-op, really. No, not by comparison. It seems like the co-op's been around forever. <laughs> yeah. And we're only, like, half as many episodes, really. We'll catch up someday. Yes. Yes, we will. All right. Well, take care, everybody. Thanks for listening.